Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Gritty Reboot. Today, we're going to be talking about one of my uh, favorite movies and also one of Pedro's favorite movies, if probably of all time, right? Very true. Guns, guns, guns. <laughs> Hey, everybody. I'm Pedro Ramador. Uh, welcome to the Gritty Reboot Podcast. Yeah, and I'm Meredith. Yeah, so today we are talking about the 80s sci-fi classic, Robocop. Half man. This guy is really good. Half machine. Robocop. What is he? He's a cyborg, you idiot. All hero. What are your prime directives? Um, this was made in 1987 by one Paul Verhoeven. Uh, this movie was a massive hit when it came out, even though it was trashed at the time it was released because people thought it was a Terminator ripoff. Uh, even though if you watch the movie, it is nothing like Terminator <laughs> at all. Not in the least. <laughs> um, I have a really funny story here because uh, if you've managed to see the 1987 version of RoboCop, it is a dark, bloody film. A mm. very, very violent film. Very gritty. Yeah. And in, in the 80s, this was okay to show a kid a rated R film. That was perfectly fine. If, uh, if any of you guys are here and you're uh, 25 and younger, the idea that there would be an R-rated movie marketed to children would just be absurd. <laughs> like, like if like if Endgame was like rated R and like they blew Thanos' head off graphically at the end of the movie and there was like an action figure for that. Like that's sort of what RoboCop was. The toys were like sanitized a little bit or anything, but I mean, they were still toys from yeah. a very violent rated R movie. They Marketed were, at kids. Yeah, there, were, there was a Saturday morning cartoon. It was perfectly acceptable to talk about like RoboCop on the playground, stuff like that, or Terminator, like just movies of that caliber and that level of violence. They weren't demonized like they, they are today. Like it'd be very, very weird to go out and, and find a toy from an R-rated film that wasn't specifically like made for collectors. Like, yeah. you know, to go to Toys R Us and to find like Terminator or RoboCop action figures in 1987 was not a foreign concept at all. So I, I saw RoboCop, I mean, when I was a, I was a boy. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think I'd have been about five when RoboCop would have come out. 87. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I'm about like uh, you're five four or, or five. For yeah. You. Four or five years old. So probably maybe six when it gets to home video and I've seen it. Um, because I can remember like primary, second or third grade, people talking about RoboCop, making references and jokes to it and thinking like, oh, I've seen that movie too. <laughs> Everyone's seen RoboCop. So this is like one of those films that I have grown up with. And I absolutely love uh, RoboCop. We just yeah. watched it last night. Um, how, how do you feel about it? I know I'm shy can gush for hours about RoboCop. How do you feel about watching it again here in 2022? I loved it. Like I love all the – actually, one of my favorite parts of the movie is the stop motion animation. Like that, that is, it's so old school and so classic. I just love it when a movie utilizes it and utilizes it well. Like it's done really well. I mean, that's gotta be hard to make that what out of clay, however they do it. You know, it's, it's gotta be hard to make all those little pieces move. And yeah, like at 209, I mean, he's a a posable figure, but I mean, still that's someone going there moving him like uh, a 16th of an inch. Yeah. Picture. Another 16th of an inch picture. And, and I mean, that's how it goes over really and over again. Really detailed, too. Yeah, you think about that final fight he has, or the middle of the movie fight with Ed 209, and the, and the toe kind of moves a little bit, you know, or like his whole thrashing. Yeah. That probably took days of just moving him back and forth and thrashing. His toe moving at the very end was probably a solid day's worth of work <laughs> for an animator who was just like taking pictures and filling out or looking at classified ads in the 80s. 
But that's um, how they did things back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily any easier today, but the the options are limitless on what you can do and make it look somewhat realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, stop motion had limits back then, but I just love every time I see it, and uh, it looks really good in this movie. All the effects are are really fantastic. It's really in important it. to the movie, I think. Oh, I one hundred percent agree. So, um, I have a little story about uh, RoboCop. Um. This is very back in the beginning era of a DVD, so late 90s. I was completely unaware of like availability of movies or anything like that like I am today. People, if you don't if you're not old enough, like there was no internet with a database of movies that come out every week telling you, "Oh, this is what's going to be here. This is this is what's the, you know, this is the hot movie that's out." You didn't really have that. So, this is a random trip to Best Buy. I'm looking for my favorite movies to sort of rebuild my old DVD, my old VHS catalog on DVD, and I find RoboCop. And for some reason, it is $48 instead of the normal 20, which is what DVDs cost at that time. Huh. And I got introduced to a brand that has become an obsession of mine through the years called Criterion. Oh, yes. Now, I know a lot of you movie files out there, like music to your ears the second yeah. I say Criterion, a little jam, thinking love about it. whatever your favorite one is. And most people, they have a movie that they might love that happens to have a Criterion version, and they know Criterion means quality. I was completely unaware of that at the time. So I bugged my dad. <laughs> I really did. My poor father. I, I bugged him until he bought this overpriced movie for me that I'd seen a thousand times. And I got my first criterion that way. And I was introduced to the way they do things with thousands of hours of special features, yes. two director commentaries. So And the movie looks great. Yeah, yeah. We we actually we watched that rip last night. That is a rip that is I believe the transfer was actually made for the laser disc because that disc is actually not in surround sound 5.1, which is very rare because it's a straight port of the laser disc. And it's out of print, by the way. I still have the disc and I still have the uh, the packaging. And I think that sells for like 300 plus. You should keep it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's been out of print a very yeah. long time. Yeah. Like my that, fear and loathing criteria. Yeah. It's one of the, well, that, that commentary track is just lost to time. And uh, um, another one of my favorite movies, Spinal Tap, has a commentary track on Criterion that's just lost to time. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Um, that's yeah, the way it, things are these yeah, days. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure someone on YouTube has it, but you got to sync the movie up. You got to work for it. Um, it's out there, but it, it's going to take you some work to find it. So. It was nice to watch that version of the film. Yeah. So uh, getting into RoboCop, um, I guess the main takeaway from 2022 is I don't know how of all the sci-fi futures out there, we ended up in the corporate hellscape of OCP. And <laughs> like that that is like the level of corporatization the movie sort of lampoons is like what we live with today. Yeah, it's it's very much satire back then, but today it's not. Yeah, it hits it hits on the head. Uh it really does. Um the it's still biting after all these years. There are some jokes that are lost to time. I think like they make a reference to Star Wars and Ronald Reagan. Like if you weren't alive in the eighties, that's just flying right over your head. Um, same thing with like the Lee Iacocca middle school and things like that. Yeah. I mean, the guy was worshiped as a God at that point in Detroit. Uh, by the way, RoboCop, uh, set in Detroit. Uh, none of the films have ever shot in Detroit. Uh, RoboCop is the finest movie ever shot in Dallas, Texas, by the way. I was going to say, I thought it was shot in Dallas. Yeah, Big Ro- D. Yeah, RoboCop was shot almost entirely uh, in Texas. I think there's a few scenes that aren't. I think like the factory in the end. I don't think that's anywhere in Dallas. Mm. Um, but uh, m- most everything else, uh, even though at this point, if you live in Dallas, it's very difficult to recognize all but a few structures. It's changed so much since 1986 when they shot this. 
Um, it, it, it is a real treat if you live in Dallas to see it. The OCP building, it's just City Hall. But uh, going back into RoboCop, um, besides it being an incredible satire, I- I'm amazed at what an effective Frankenstein tale it really is. Yeah. As we sort of talk about reboots. It, it very much is another retelling of, of Frankenstein. You know, a man brought back from from the beyond with no memory of his parts or what they used to do and the the humanity coming through the coldness of the machine of the robot you know no matter what can be done it's humanity still got the soul emotion. comes through yeah he's got feelings to that yeah yeah uh, the, this um the way the movie chooses to tackle the narrative is interesting and you don't really think about how a movie chooses to tell its story until you have a chance to see a reboot mm-hmm. um and see how it does it differently and the idea that you know, when Murphy dies, you're stuck in his POV for a long time while yeah. they boot him back up and you see these little sequences. Now it's more interesting to watch because that's another thing if you watch a movies, if you watch films when they come out, is you are always spoiled by marketing. Always. You know, like it, the movie takes a long time to reveal RoboCop, but if you have the movie, he's on the poster. So right. there's not really like, oh, let's build up this image. But if you've managed to never see RoboCop, I think that's... A pretty interesting technique, the way Paul Verhoeven chooses to do it. Those times when they boot him up and he sees like random things of what he will be. Yeah, the New Year's Eve party. Yeah, little moments like that. And and none of them feel... It's a good screenplay because none of those moments feel like, hey, let's give you some story and let's give you some exposition right here. They never really feel that way. They feel like you're just... You just happen to catch these moments and you're viewing them. And then when RoboCop comes online, you know, the... the use of that bass as he's yeah. walking through like it's it's very much like the t-rex in jurassic park like to feel like robocop walk as you hear that sound and then the first time you get a shot of robocop you see him through the monitor so you don't get a clear shot of him when he's walking through ocp and then when he gets to the police building you see him through the uh the tinted glass and so you don't get a clear view of him it's not till he even when we finally get a good view of him, it's through the cage. Yeah. And we circle the cage. We are just an observer, just catching a glimpse of this mammoth structure, this RoboCop. It, the way he's built up is particularly fantastic. It's one of the things I love because RoboCop feels powerful. He is powerful. And when that humanity starts to come into play, like you, RoboCop finally gains some weakness. He goes against his programming and we kick off with the plot of the movie, him trying to figure out who he was. And get revenge or justice, pardon me, justice for what happened to him. Yeah, from one of your favorite villains in TV movie history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Clarence Bodiger. <laughs> fantastic name. Just just say it once or twice. Clarence, Clarence Bodiger. I mean, that that's a fantastic <laughs> bad guy name. It is. That's uh, Kurtwood Smith. Uh, a lot of you guys might know him from being the father in uh, that 70s show. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't call anybody a dumbass in this movie, but he has, he is chewing scenery like nobody's business while still keeping it somewhat grounded. Yeah. He's a, he's a <laughs> definitely the villain. I mean, he's pretty tough. He's gritty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this movie has two villains and, and they're very different and they're both fantastic. Yeah. And I, I think that, that really helps, you know, him out there with his quips and guns, 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 bitches leave all, all that <laughs> stuff. That's really fun. Can you fly Bobby? Like all that stuff is a lot of fun. And and you need a little bit of fun because this is a, a like I said a violent science Dark fiction movie. story. Yeah, it, it very much is. So getting just a little bit like that is, is just fantastic to kind of lighten it up. Well, let's talk about some of the grittier parts of this movie. Like I've already mentioned the stop motion, uh, Ed two hundred nine, um, 
the overkill of the guy, uh, the corporate guy who they, they're testing out Ed 209 to all the corporate thugs or whatever. Yeah, very famously. Yeah, and then he ends up getting killed, like, brutally. Yeah, I, I love the scene for a number of reasons. Uh, that was one that was uh, cut down by the MPAA, MPAA massively. Cartierian gave us the, the full cut like that. And like, I think the shot of him on the model of Delta City just getting blown away with squib yeah. to squib, that wasn't in the theatrical cut. That was too much for them. But uh, it was nice to be able to see that again. And I just love how that guy is dead and smoking. And they just continue on with the dialogue because it's just how the corporate world mm-hmm. works. It's, it's a great joke. Like, yeah, that guy's dead. But let's talk about the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> like the way they just move on is, is all really fantastic stuff. I like the the female cop, too. She's pretty gritty. She's She comes – you get her uh, introduction as she's beating up a, a, a perpetrator. Yeah, it's a great way to introduce a character. Um, you don't always want to say, hey, this is Lewis. She's tough as nails. She's, She's tough. a great, t-, you know, you want to show her like this guy gets out of line. She's able to subdue both suspects. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a really nice sequence. Like automatically we recognize, hey, she's tough. She knows what she's doing. They get together. They go after the gang. Mm-hmm. And Murphy goes into there. And you understand that Alex Murphy is a very good cop. Mm-hmm. He's brave. He's got guts. He's a good shot. And then you go into... His whole scene where he gets killed, he gets his hand blown off first, and you see all that, and then he gets just pumped full of lead, just one after the other. Yeah, another grisly scene getting, in this movie. Yeah, getting just shredded. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, the, the scene is famous. I mean, people have, have talked about, you know, RoboCop getting blown apart in that, and it's a great way to kill your, your protagonist, and I think the sequence right after that in the hospital, also really gut-wrenching. Mm-hmm. Like the way it's shot, all handheld, wide angles, close on the body. You know, the POV as it gets darker and darker as he starts to, to pass away. That's all really good stuff. Uh, you know, those little flashbacks of the family. Because that's another element here. We haven't been introduced to his family. Not really. They're no, kind mean, of an outside source. We're aware that he has one. And when we see it as the audience, we know, oh, he's thinking about his wife and child. Right yeah. He dies. You know, we don't know who they are. We don't know anything about them other than he has a wife and child. Well, you get to see the wife and child waving to him, mm-hmm. and, and he's got that POV view, mm-hmm. and then it quickly comes back. It shoots back. I like that whole scene because it shows that, you know, his family is out of reach at this point. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it was the last time you saw him, his last goodbye. Yeah. Or so he would believe. Um, and, and then, like I said, we are introduced to RoboCop, and the story kicks off, and you know, we talked about things about how the movie feels, but from a writing perspective, this movie just goes and goes and goes. Um, a lot happens in it, and they do a beautiful job with all the news breaks. Yeah, like the Nukem commercial. Yeah, they <laughs> sprinkle in these nice little gags, and then they flat out just give you exposition. I love that commercial. But yeah, but like I said, that's like what a news broadcast fucked does. Fucked up battleship. Exactly. <laughs> I love the way this universe portrays it. Uh, the Yamaha heart. Uh, boy, you talk about just lampooning our medical system. It's still holding up. I think 20, uh, no, it's longer than that. Over, over 30 plus years for RoboCop. Mm-hmm. And like I said, they, they give you exposition in those sequences and they give it to you in a way where you don't really realize that's what's going on. That's the whole point about being a screenwriter and giving exposition is you don't want it to seem like, Hey, I'm giving you info. So you know what happens here for the rest of the story. Yeah. You don't want to do that. Cause I mentioned that because our, our, other film will will all suffer from that problem immensely. No, um, but I mean, I mean, it's it's just such a fun movie that actually is about something, and that's a tough feat in summer blockbuster fare, which what this was. This was a big hit movie. 
um, you know, one of the bigger hits of 87. It, it's just nice to sort of see that, like there's some actual meat on the bones and that's something we don't get a lot of today. I'm not really bragging on the MCU, but those movies don't really have a lot to say besides what is in their story. So what's your favorite gritty moment of this movie? Uh, you know, I think one of the moments that's, that's always stuck to me is I know people love, they love the guy getting blown apart in the, the, the board meeting, but I love when Bodiger shows up to kill um, the other executive played by Miguel Ferreira. Um, you know, the, everyone's, I mean, you talk about pure eighties excess, it's sex and cocaine before that yeah. they're thrown out. And I, I, I love the way the sequence is. Yeah. Cause there's such a coldness to the way, like he shoots him in those legs. And then, um, uh, Dick Jones uh, played by the great Ronnie Cox here. Uh, by the way, Ronnie Cox before this was known for playing like sweet grandfathers and stuff like that in movies. So this was a turn for him. And after this, he plays nothing but like corporate douchebags <laughs> until he retires in the late 90s. You know, him just sort of mocking him uh, as he dies. I love that whole sequence of him reaching for the grenade. Like the, to me, like there's such a, a hopelessness and nihilism in that death. Uh, that I, I truly like he had no way to ever escape from it. It's one of the gritty moment, gritty moments that, that, that I really love. Um, what would be your moment that stuck out to you the most? Oh man. Toxic waste man. Oh yeah. Toxic I waste love man. that scene that uh, it's brutal. I pop hard for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I love every time that he comes out. There, Help <laughs> Don't touch me, man. As That's, he's changing. Yeah. It, it's all such great stuff. It I mean, is. you're talking about in this movie where all this fun stuff is happening. All of a sudden you have like a, the toxic Avenger pops up. Yeah. For no reason. But that's just the kind of movie that, that this really was. Like you were just kind of surprised at every, every turn. It's still so much fun today for those reasons of having that level of grittiness and that fun and a social statement. It's everything that. If you ever pick up a screenwriting book, that's like what they want you to do. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. Don't 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 show. Te- don't tell. Show. And then you know, slight social statement. It's all there in RoboCop, and it all works. And and you know, it's due to great performances in Paul Verhoeven. Um, I mean, I, I think one of the other moments that I I always love and that I want to talk about was um, a lot of action movies are power fantasies. Um, you know, we talk about that with video games sometimes too, but. You know, RoboCop is sort of well. RoboCop is OP. Like he's running around old Detroit, just laying waste to these guys. And then when he finally has his murder solved, he goes to arrest Dick Jones, and we find out that RoboCop is not always OP, and he is shellacked by Ed Two Hundred Nine, mm-hmm. uh, caught off guard. And, and that you know, Ed Two Hundred Nine is kind of a joke when he comes down the stairs and he's squealing and stuff like that. But what's not a joke is when RoboCop comes out and. The entire OCPD is waiting for him. And his old friends are like, you can't do that. I, I know he's a machine, but that's a cop that was in there. You can't do that. And they don't care. They they don't listen. And and they start shooting. They start opening fire on, on RoboCop. And the way it's shot in the music, there's this great shot when uh, RoboCop is, is just taking fire from all angles. And he falls down to a knee. And he's crawling to get away from all this fire. Mm-hmm. It's humanity fighting to survive. You get the light behind him. That light behind him and the music. So you feel the, you you feel bad. You pity him. Yeah. Like you you know that oh my god he's gonna die here, and that's those are the moments where directing comes into play and is super important because trying to make a powerful character someone you can identify with and someone you could pity and be like oh my god he doesn't have a chance here. It's so well done in that movie and and most movies don't do that. They can't take the stakes up. 
they don't want to make the hero look bad enough to where something actually matters. Yeah. And and it really does. You know, RoboCop is put in, in, in a lot of danger. And, you know, they give him those powerful guns. I love the way the movie takes those stakes right up. And it's something I think that is missing from uh, the remake. I don't know if you, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say about RoboCop before we transition into 2014. No. Oh my gosh, we have to go into the 2014 movie, which was not as nearly couldn't even touch Everybody the old movie. Even the worst neighborhood in America could be made completely safe. How do I know this? Because it's happening right now in every country in the world, but this one. It is great to see American machines helping to promote peace abroad. So then tell me, why can't we use these machines here at home? Why is America so robophobic? Now, I, I want to say, I think you dislike this movie more than I do. Before oh, I want to get to it, I, I want to uh, dare to compare here. So uh, RoboCop, even though obviously Rotten Tomatoes wasn't around uh, when it was released, uh, sits at 91%. Uh, RoboCop 2014 sits at 48%. Um, and this is the 2014 uh, 14 film, uh, uh, Jose uh, Padilla. He directed this one after uh, doing uh, Elite Squad 1 and 2, which I think are two fantastic Brazilian action movies. <laughs> uh, they're, they're a little light on plot, but they have great action. And RoboCop at times has some good action. So I- I'm disappointed by that. Um, this, uh, this film features uh, Abby Cornish, uh, Amy Garcia, um, a Jackie Earl Haley in a, a nice part, uh, Michael Keaton, Gary Oldman, and of course, uh, Joel Kinnaman as uh, RoboCop. And I want to say straight off, acting is not the movie's problem. No. that That is the one thing the movie has going for it is that Oldman and Keaton and, and even Kinnaman, I think, is pretty good as yeah. RoboCop. Like what, the, the problems in this movie aren't his. No. It's the story. Yeah. Uh, first off, let's let, let's call out the, the the main thing. Dare to compare RoboCop eighty uh, seven R hard R, uh, and the twenty fourteen version is PG thirteen. Yeah, which it's every bit of it. It you know it, it limits the teeth of your movie when it's PG thirteen. It it really does. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's no other way I can put it. Like, you, you, there's only so much bite you can have. Very few films are like the Batman, where you can be a really dark gritty movie in PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. That's a rare thing. And besides like an opening sequence, I know you liked the opening sequence. Yeah, I liked all the suicide bombers and how it starts off with a bunch of Ed 209s. And mm-hmm. it kind of starts off gritty. So yeah. you're thinking, okay, well, we're, we're, we're taking the same tone of the last movie. But then it quickly just divulges into nothing. Yeah, yeah. The, the, like the movie wants to make that kind of social statement the first one did. And I, I like what they're doing with... Uh, talking about American politics, how we do things overseas and everything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a long, cold I, you know, opening. And, too. And, you know, I think it has something to say about drone strikes, but it really only wants to say that for a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's and it. I, yeah, that, that's kind of the, the, the sad part of it. The movie doesn't really want to do it, even if it does go back to Samuel L. Jackson far too many times oh my god samuel jackson i love the guy but i hate this whole <laughs> yeah. sequence yeah the whole thing yeah let's you know it. I, I just read out the cast list i didn't put sam jackson on there uh who i love yeah um everybody just, loves yeah i mean like the first couple times he shows up it, it's fine but like you know I, I i didn't count how many times he shows up well in the last in robocop 87 there's a news element to news break. yeah it kind of furthers exposition and stuff in this, they try to have the the news thing again, but it's all Samuel L. Jackson, and it's just it's kind of like conservative rhetoric, and it's just weird. 
It doesn't fit. Yeah, toothless conservative rhetoric. Yeah, because the, the, the 2014 version of Robocop is an emotional movie. It's very much emotional. It's about, you know, the wife making this decision. Did she make the right decision? What has she done? She's in, The wife is involved a lot more in this movie than the previous movie. Yeah, and that's a big thing to talk about. The wife, uh, played by uh, Abby Cornish, um, she basically is the one who makes this call. In the first film, I like the idea that they just sort of grab a corpse and like, yeah, you know, he's good enough. Yeah. Throw him in there. We'll figure it out. Former OCP. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much a corporation. Like, well, let's just throw some money at the wall and see what happens. Yeah. Um, In this one, she has to sort of assign her husband over to them to, to agree to it. From her perspective, it's portrayed as this is the only way he's going to survive. Yeah. And she can see him. Yeah, this is the only way he can still be there with his son and still be a part of your life, even if he is a machine. So she agrees to it and makes him the the RoboCop, but that automatically throws a big change right in the works, is that we know about Alex Murphy from before anything, really. Mm-hmm. We know all about him as a family man. We know all about, um, you know, the sort of cliche drama about corruption in the police. Um, and I say cliche because, I mean, it's there, but there's nothing particularly interesting about that, that drama, that right. there's some dirty cops and... Um, they're covering up for mobsters in the area who are doing something. But what they're doing is, is unlike the first film, no longer directly related to OCP, uh, what they're doing. It's completely separate, right? Yeah. Yeah, those two plot lines don't touch. Absolutely. So, so, so we do have two bad guys in the movie, but I now cannot even remember the character name of the guy who kills Alex Murphy in this movie. Um I, I don't think I remember either. Yeah, it's not as clear as the yeah, 87. Well, I mean, because once again, I mean, once again, the 87 film, we have a visceral scene of our protagonist being blown apart by Kurtwood Smith and his gang. Um, in this one, it is a car bomb. Yeah. Um, and also the way they, and I, I don't, you know, I hate to really, you know, nitpick and things like that, but like showing him planting the car bomb doesn't really increase the tension. You just know it's coming because. It's a RoboCop movie. Yeah. <laughs> eventually the Robo, eventually the guy who's going to be RoboCop has to die. So there's no real tension in the way they do it. And so when he wants that revenge, like we sort of understand it later on, but there isn't that drive for it. Right. You know, they, like as an audience, we're not hungry to see that revenge like we are with Peter Weller's version of that character. And uh, man, that it's a, it weighs the film down, slows it down, I, I think, because there's so many plot elements they are trying to work with. Well, it turns the movie into a mystery. You know, yeah. it's 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 a who done it at the end of the day. Yeah, and he just tries to solve the murder of his his own murder. Yeah, and I mean, even at the end, like he finds out his police chief is um, a part of it as well. Yeah, and that goes nowhere. Nowhere. Yeah, he falls asleep. They turn him off, and then she escapes justice. <laughs> I believe because the movie at no point indicates that she got her comeuppance. Because once that moment happens, we're done with that revenge story. Now we need to go to the OCP part of this story. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like they are rushing to hit the beats they need to hit. While also taking an immense amount of time to get to anything. The training scene. Oh my gosh. It goes on forever. Yeah. But it has one of the coolest parts of the movie, which is where you get to see Robocop broken down into a uh, brain, face, lungs, lungs, and a hand. Yeah. Uh, Joel Kinnaman and Oldman played the scene really well. Yeah. Uh, Kinnaman, like the way he's like, no, it's all going away. No. Like that's that's all fantastic yeah. stuff, you know. You know, and it's just him and just the lungs, you know, him almost just, just say it didn't work. Just kill me. Like, well, that's not an option. Almost a head in a jar. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much what he is. 
So uh, that's the that's the movie's best scene. It absolutely is. Yeah, because that sort of gets that kind of Frankenstein feel of, of the first movie that the heartbreak of what's been happening to him, a level of body horror that this movie only really flirts with a little bit in that in that sequence. You know, the first film obviously has him being turned into a machine, but even when you compare the two kinds of machines, RoboCop 87 is a far more grotesque experience, uh grotesque sight under the helmet. Mhm. Because uh, you can see Joel Kinnaman's face pretty clearly in this film. Yeah, which I hate. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it uh, it humanizes him far more um, than what really needed to be done. And I think it leads to another issue that I have, which is the second they paint the suit black, it feels like a rubber suit. Like it feels like a, like a Batman. Uh, <laughs> it feels like when they were making Batman Begins, this was like one of the leftover armor designs. They're like, no, nah, not good enough. And they toss it aside and RoboCop picked it up and ran with it. Because that's what it feels like. He feels like he's in some kind of bat suit without a cape. Yeah. Uh, and, and weirdly enough, when he comes out after being created, he's kind of in the classic kind of silver look. That feels more like a robot than what ends up happening with the black tactical version of his suit. I don't know. Well, I, mean, I guess probably, you know, focus testing told them that black was going to be a better sell. But um, that part never works. And I think that's a real hindrance to have a suit, you know, in 2014 that's less effective than the one you had in 1987. Yeah. Um, and I know you you want to do your own thing and you don't necessarily want to say like, oh, well, let's just, you know, bring that suit back or anything like that. That's not really what they do here. And it's a real shame. Yeah. Not to mention like when he, at the end, at the end of the movie, when he gets killed, I guess, and then he comes back in a white suit. It's like they changed his whole design again in the movie. Did yeah. you notice that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hate. I just, ugh, it's not. It does just doesn't work. So I, I think the finale is. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how to put it because the original film has a pair of finales that you know he fights Clarence Bodiger and his gang takes them out, uh, but it's satisfying. And then after that, he has to go for the big boss because that's how it works. Those two storylines are connected. Mm-hmm. Bodiger was the boss. You know, Bodiger had a boss. So he has to go take him out and finish off Ed 209. We get that. We get that resolution. He took him out and then he's able to get just, and then someone asks him his name and he's able to respond as a man. Yeah. Not a robot, not, not no name, not RoboCop. Name's Murphy, you know, and I, I and the little smirk, humanity, no matter what it came through. Yeah. Cause they should show all that with the, the whole dopamine. Yeah, exactly. And then in, in this move in the 2014 version, um, the finale is, Tacked on because yeah. it's just a hostage sequence with his family on the top of the building and nothing really clever happens. Just the one thing we're told can't happen, which is him overriding one of his directives. He just does. Yeah. He just does it. Like, it's no big deal. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. They set like, this up and then they knock it down. I don't have a problem if you do something like that, but you can't tell me like this a hundred percent can't happen. It can't be this way. And then it just happens. And I know he shuts down, but it's still an ultimately unsatisfying way to end the film. Yeah, and like I said, he just kind of dies. Yeah, he just kind of rolls over, dies, and then we go to a Samuel Jackson uh, news break, and I forget what they're called. Um, we go to one of those to kind of tidy up the plot, basically, that says Gary Oldman turned state's evidence um, against OCP and I guess shut down their robot division. Well, they leave things open for a sequel that we never really get, which is a shame. Um, because I mean, I, I would like to see what Joel Kinnaman could have done with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, I'd like to, you know, and I think we, I didn't mention this before, but this movie had a ton of production issues. You know, we talk about the PG-13, the director was hired, and that was not the mandate. He was hired to make a, a hard R-rated film, and then, you know, before pre-production was over, they're like, nah, man, we're going PG-13. Sorry. Studio changes. Yeah, and and, and they, they hamper the movie, and they hurt. I, I, I mean, I think it's watchable, but I mean, that's not high praise. You know, you know, old old episodes of Hogan's Heroes are watchable. Forty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes is pretty accurate, in uh, my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily always agree with Rotten Tomatoes, and and you should always form your own opinion. But if a movie's in the forties, it's probably not great. Yeah, there's probably a reason it's there. Um, so it's not a gritty reboot. Yeah, it's the exact the opposite. Least. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of a gritty reboot. It's a sterilized like corporate, sterilized corporate version of RoboCop, which is funny in itself. So, I mean, that, that's all it is at the end of the day. A, a movie that is inferior to the first film in story, in grittiness. I would have made it more violent. They should have kept with the Frankenstein thing and, and made it more violent. Then it would have been a really good gritty reboot. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I think, how do I put it? Like, if you're going to talk about some of the issues like drone warfare and, you know, how the corporate corporations manipulate the media to their own ends, which is kind of what the movie is really about. If you think about it, like that's the whole point of the movie is Michael Keaton's character trying to get a law repealed. <laughs> that's the main plot, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Murphy and his revenge and his family, that's all secondary. The whole main plot is like, we need to get this law reversed so we can get robots on the street so we can make money. I suppose yeah. is what OCB's plan is, even though Michael Keaton absolutely ruins it by holding the family hostage. So the whole ending falls apart in that respect because you have to have a finale. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Every movie he, has one. He had just achieved his plan. There was no real reason to have to do all that weirdness of RoboCop. He just could have found another way to murder him. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. It's it's not a smart movie. It's It's a cheap cash grab of a remake. And it shouldn't have been that way. And it's really unfortunate. I, I mean, I would just, there's no real reason to watch it. Even if you're an Uber fan, I mean, watch RoboCop 2. I mean, I think it's a better movie than RoboCop 3, but RoboCop 3 was, that's another, we won't cover that at all, but that was another movie with a, a really strained and rushed production. Yeah. Um, And it's not very good. And it's also PG-13, by the way. I was unaware that, that RoboCop 3 is almost a family movie. Well, before we close here, uh, is there anything that you would do to make the 2014 version more gritty? I told you that I'd like more violence and taking the Frankenstein thing and making it more prevalent. Well, I think what I would have done is if you if you have a mandate to where you don't really want to make those criticisms of corporations and you don't want to be that satirical, make a dark revenge tale of a of a man in a robot suit who is all powerful now and, you know, his quest to go out and, and you know, I like clean I like Detroit of crime no matter what. You know, I mean, make a different movie because that's the problem is is they weren't ballsy enough to make just a different movie. Mm -hmm. They're still like, well, we got to have this OCP angle and we, we got to have some of the, the, the bad guy killing from before without really picking which direction that they wanted to go down. And by them making everything a little bit more complicated, yes, there's more elements to the story. But it also slows it down. I talked about before, running time of RoboCop, a pretty trim hour and 40. Uh, the 2014 version, just over two hours. Mm -hmm. And that slowing it down doesn't help with anything. I think you make it a darker re revenge story about a robot, you know, remembering who he used to be and how that affects him, I think is far more. I, mean, I don't even think you need the OCP stuff or anything like that. You really could have focused on, on just that revenge tale 
and and made this a stronger movie. Because if you if you wanted a sequel bait, you know you could save him taking out OCP for the sequel. Yeah. But they, I mean, they, they didn't want to go that way. Uh, they they went this way, tried to shove everything into one. Nothing really ever works, and so our time was wasted. RoboCop flopped at the box office. Critics didn't care for it, so we never got a sequel, and that killed the franchise up until the video game announcement with Peter Weller a couple of weeks ago. Other than that, I mean, the RoboCop franchise was dead. Yeah. So, um, obviously, we'll never see Joel Kinnaman in the role again, and that's good. But uh, at least for fans, we'll get another opportunity, albeit in a digital form, to see Peter Weller's take on the character at least one last time. Yeah. So we can we can see that whole dynamic again play out in hopefully a more grittier version. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping for that too. The, 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 it's always nice to get to watch RoboCop again, but with this show, uh, we got the downside of here having to watch the 2014 version. I, I think we did it a bit of a disservice by shotgunning it right after RoboCop. Maybe, but I still think I would have felt the same way. Probably, yeah. But it, it made it, it's um, the change in tone and how dull it was all the more apparent. Yeah, yeah. Um, next week, things should treat us a little bit better, I do believe. I think so. Uh, next week, we are going to be doing uh, Candyman. Um, which just got a reboot uh, quasi-sequel last year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll be taking a look at that one. Uh, spoiler, uh, Candyman, I have actually not seen the reboot, so this will be the first time I'll watch it. But uh, the original film is one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. I mean, a film I love and find creepy to this day. And I love showing to people because most people don't realize what a smart movie it is. They just assume it's a dumb slasher flick, and Candyman is anything but that. Oh, it is quite smart. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty it's, cool It's not movie. my one of my favorites, but... I can admit that it has some strong points. All right. All right. Well, much like uh, one of the cops at uh, the OCP precinct, I'm uh, going on strike here. So uh, this is Pedro, <laughs> and I'm out. I'm Meredith, and see you guys next week. All right, guys. See ya. Bitches, leave.